Happiness versus Flourishing, episode six. In this week's episode, we talk about showers, washing and soap and why those things shouldn't go together. Welcome to the podcast where we aim to give you ideas how you can improve your life in small ways with different experts talking every week on uh, subjects that help to improve your life in some way or other. And this week is Dr. George Moncrief, who talks about why we shouldn't be using soap and the damage that soap causes to our skin. So that's coming up very soon. If you do like this episode, please do share it. There's probably going to be lots of people you know who suffer in some ways and will definitely benefit from some of the things that George talks about in this episode. Why not subscribe, uh, leave a review for us, and that lets more people know about the show so more people uh, subscribe and get to get to hear the show on a regular basis. Hope you do enjoy it and here's this week's episode. Welcome to another edition of Happiness Versus Flourishing and my guest today is Dr. George Moncrief. How are you, George? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Well, and thank you for coming on because this is quite an important topic, and it doesn't it doesn't get the publicity or the you know the, the exposure that it should do. I couldn't agree with you more. I think it really is a message that we do need to get out and uh, try and uh, let more people know that subtle changes in their lifestyle could make enormous differences to how they feel, and in particular, into the health of their skin. Hmm. I mean, I've. I've read a few articles and I and I saw you, know, you were interviewed on was it this this morning was it? <laughs> yes, I have been on them a couple of times. Yes, yeah, and it was it was it was fascinating watching that. So for the for the people who maybe haven't read the show notes and aren't aware of what we're talking about, so you're a firm advocate in the belief that we don't need to be using soap when when we shower, aren't you? Well, more than that, we need to avoid soap as much as we can. I, there's one caveat I have to say currently in that um, we do need to use soap and detergents to kill the coronavirus. And so mm. for what I said on uh, this morning and I uh, got some uh, rather strange social media comments was that I hadn't washed for 20 years. That was a year ago when I said that. Um, and I got right. some rather extraordinary looks from Holly, I think. Um <laughs> But yeah, I, I, I do wash. I wash every day, but I make a point of avoiding soaps and detergents because they are remarkably unnatural and remarkably damaging to your skin. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, now we've got coronavirus to worry about, and uh, yeah. we do need to use soap to kill the coronavirus. So you can modify the way in which you wash and get the best of all worlds, but. Uh, we shouldn't be putting the detergents on our skin that we have been doing for the last 40, 50 years. Well, before we sort of dig deeper into that, I mean, how did you sort of discover this? Is it something that many doctors know about? I mean, how did you first get into this? I think many doctors are conscious that detergents damage the skin, but not, I don't think necessarily the message has got through to the extent that uh, I believe it matters and, and they should understand. Hmm. <laughs> The, the, the problem arises really because uh, if you look at our ancestors, they mm. didn't wash. If you go back 100, 150 years, they just didn't wash. I'm told that even Queen Elizabeth I only mm. washed with soap about four times a year. It wasn't, well, it wasn't soap in those days, but she only washed um, in a bath four times a year. And mm. years ago, people just didn't wash. And our skin has never had an opportunity to evolve to cope with the the washing and detergent demands that we put on it nowadays. It mm. wasn't designed for that. And detergents do actually cause remarkable damage to the skin. Mm. And if you, if you just look at the number of children uh, with eczema, after the Second World War, when very few people were washing on a daily basis, it, it was a, an unusual habit and people would perhaps wash once a week in the family bath in front of a fire or, or whatever. It wasn't a, a regular experience. Back then, 70 years ago, only about mm. 1 in 20 children had eczema. Mm. And we have seen that those numbers have increased relentlessly till now 1 in 4 or 1 in 5 children 
have eczema. Uh, and that's, that's an epidemic level. And the thing that I think has changed most dramatically, there have been a number of changes during that time, but one of the most dramatic has been that everyone is now washing at least once a day, sometimes twice a day. And hmm. children from a very young age are exposed to a lot of detergents, bubble bath, soap, shampoo. Uh, hmm. And this is causing untold damage to their skin. And what, why is it that um, this causes, how does it cause eczema? Well, uh, detergents are designed to remove grease. That's what they're meant mm. to do. Now, yeah. the very, very top layer of your skin, the, the skin has a couple of layers. The, the deeper down you have the dermis, and then above mm. that you have the thinner, more delicate surface called the epidermis. Mm. Now, the top layer of the epidermis is where you have a, what we call the skin barrier. And that's actually a remarkably sophisticated barrier. It's designed to prevent water escaping from your body um, so you, you don't dehydrate, and also to prevent bacteria, other bu bugs getting in, and also allergens getting in. So mm. detergents are designed to remove grease, and between the, the cells in the very top layer of your skin, the, what are called the corneocytes, you have mm. a fatty membrane, almost like a sort of a layer between them, rather like cement in a brick wall. And this is made up of cholesterol and waxy materials called ceramides and all sorts of other fatty materials that sort of sit between the cells, sealing it between, between those cells. And mm. detergents will rip that out. It's called the lipid lamella bilayer because these fats, these fats often have very long non-polar chains which don't like water. And then they have little mm. polar nodules at the end. And so they naturally orientate themselves into a bilayer where the, the non-polar chain ends point inwards um, mm. and then the polar ends point outwards facing water. So forming this bilayer, so it's called a lipid lamella bilayer. The other thing that detergents do is they uh, raise the pH of the skin. They render the skin alkaline. No normally the skin has a really important, what's called acid mantle. It has an acid environment on the surface. And that isn't mm. there by chance. It's there for a really good reason. That acid mm. mantle controls the activity of the body's natural enzymes, chemicals that break down the bonds that hold these skin cells together. So if you raise the pH from its normal acid mantle with a pH of about 5.5 with a detergent, you can raise it up to about a pH of 8 which is a mm. thousand-fold more alkaline than a pH of 5.5, mm. or, or nearly a thousand. And that activates, it doubles the activity of these enzymes. So they start breaking down the bonds that hold the skin cells together. And mm. that causes the skin to lose moisture, become dry, feel itchy, and then if you scratch it, it becomes inflamed. And mm. then that inflammation switches off the body's natural processes for producing that lipid lamella bilayer, and mm. for producing the acids that you need on the surface, and also the body's natural chemicals that are called natural moisturizing factors that are within the cell and hold moisture there. So the whole process mm. breaks down, bacteria get in, and that, that triggers abnormal immune reactions that drive eczema. Right. And so for people... Well, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, so you're mentioning the statistics for the number of people who get eczema, but I'm guessing from what you're saying that even the people who don't have eczema are suffering, but they have they think they're fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm a GP, but I've been working very significantly in the world of dermatology now for over 20 years, and uh, now almost exclusively in the world of skin disease. And so most of my working days spent talking to people with skin problems, and I just see people coming through the door, or nowadays actually on the video, because it's video consultations. I'm just seeing mm. loads and loads of people who, who just had no idea that what, the reason why their skin is dry and itchy is because they're washing with detergents on a daily basis. And what I say is, look, your eczema will never settle unless you stop these detergents. You're just not giving the skin a chance. But mm. lots of people, even without eczema, are going around with dry, itchy skin and have no idea it is washing their skin that's causing the problem. And then their skin feels sensitive, it feels uncomfortable and unsensitive, and, and they, they don't, and then their, their night is spent scratching rather than sleeping. 
And I'm just wondering, when you were just saying about those patients that, and you mentioned about the, it's the soap that's causing the eczema, what, what are the kind of reactions you get from people when you say things like that? Well, I, one of the first questions I ask somebody with dry skin or eczema is, is tell me, how do you wash? And they all often look quite astonished by the question as if, what, what business is that of yours and what's wrong with washing? Mm. Um, it's so ingrained in our culture now that we must wash and we must wash regularly and that cleanliness is next to godliness. I think I'm clean. I, I wash every day, but I don't put detergents near my skin unless I want to get rid of the coronavirus. So uh, I, and I, what I want to know is how do, you, how do you wash? Are you having a shower um, or do you have a bath? How hot is it? How long are you in the water? Some waters, mm. particularly hard water, are quite strong alkali. So if you're in that mm. water for more than 10 or 15 minutes, that will start to do harm. If you're in it for mm. less than that, um, it's possibly hydrating the skin. So uh, uh, it, being in water for up to, say, 10 minutes is probably doing more good than harm. And water mm. will do most of the washing. Water is very powerful at killing bacteria on its own. Mm. And you can wash most things off with water. Uh, and then what I want to know is, are you using a shower gel? Are you using soap? Are you producing a huge lather on your skin, which is ripping into that skin barrier and damaging it? Um, mm. If you wash your hair with shampoo, does that shampoo rinse down over your skin? And of course, mm. as we get older, our grease glands get less active. Um, mm. Our skin barrier becomes much, much thinner. And the, and the junction between the top layer of the skin, that epidermis, and the deeper layer is much more fragile and it can tear more easily. And you can lose mm. moisture much more quickly. So the washing habits that your skin could tolerate when you were a teenager with, with spots and greasy skin suddenly become mm. something that dries out very quickly and becomes very dry and itchy and unpleasant. Mm. And so you mentioned just then about are they, um, when they're washing their hair, there's the shampoo um, drip down onto the skin. So is there something, is shampoo stronger than normal soap? What is it about shampoo then? I don't know. Um, I, I'm not sure it's necessarily stronger. Uh, there are different sorts of soaps. The, the, the soaps were originally discovered properly in about the mid-19th century. Um, hmm. Prior to that, we didn't have much access to soap. And of course, soaps are designed to enable fats, the fats on our skin, to be mixed with water and then to be lifted off. So hmm. these harsh original soaps, which you often get into simple soaps and, 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 and soap bars, are particularly hmm. damaging and can have a very high pH indeed. You then have the um, synthetic detergents, sometimes called syndets, um, synthetic detergents, which are, are much gentler. Um, and then you can have combi bars or combars, which are co a combination of a half soap and, and uh, a more synthetic, gentler soap, which isn't quite so alkaline. So there are different sorts of soaps and things. But many of uh, these agents, like shower gels and uh, shampoos, contain chemicals that enable the soaping agent to lift off the fats even better things like sodium lauryl sulfate um, which is present in, in lots and lots of soaps and shower gels and that is mm. has been shown to be particularly damaging to the skin barrier it really does break it down and, and it actually damages normal skin uh, very mm. quickly so and it's present in some uh, emollients that people use so things like aqueous cream i think shouldn't go anywhere near the skin even as a soap um, substitute as an emollient soap substitute or emulsifying ointment which is a thicker greasy ointment from which um, aqueous cream is made by mixing it with water uh, mm. so things that contain sodium lauryl sulfate which is a, a soaping agent is uh, or an emulsifier it enables fats to mix with water are particularly damaging to the skin but no, I, I don't like the um, shampoos basically people, you need to wash your hair otherwise it will smell um, mm. I think that's very reasonable, but ideally wash your hair. But why are you washing your scalp? The scalp doesn't have to be washed, and people often have a dry, itchy scalp. So if you've got nice long hair, wash the hair, but try not to get too much shampoo onto the scalp. And there's absolutely no need for that shampoo to go onto your body as well. At the very least, lean well forward and rinse it off your body, not onto your body. Because areas like your legs have very inactive grease glands, and if you let all that detergent wash past your legs, as well as washing your legs and every bit of detergent that goes on your skin going past your legs, your legs become dry and cracked and sore. Mm. 
uh, and, and then just causes eczema down there, which I see all the time. And so what about, so you, you mentioned about shampoo. What about um, hair conditioner? Yeah, I don't mind hair conditioner. Actually, I, that's what I tend to use. I, I tend, for the last 20 years, I've, I've, if you see a photograph of me, I haven't got any hair, but I've got a little bit. And I only use conditioner. I put conditioner on a couple of times a week. And I don't mm. think conditioner does any harm at all. But I don't use much, partly because I haven't got much hair, but I, enough to cover perhaps a fingernail. Um, mm. And I make sure I rinse it thoroughly off, make sure I don't leave any behind my ears, and I rinse it off my body, not onto my body. So the condition is okay for the hair, but that's still so. it's not, yeah. not, not advisable for the, for the skin. It's basically anything that forms a foam will mm. be lifting off the oil and will be relatively alkaline and causing damage. Hmm. And, and isn't it as well, I heard that um, using soap can also be damaging for vitamin D, which is something that's really important for us, especially in this whole climate with the, with the COVID stuff. Well, that's interesting. I didn't know that soaps interfere with vitamin D. Um, I, I need to look that up. But I am certainly aware of how incredibly important vitamin D is for our general health and also mm. in particular for our skin health. And hmm. I actually take vitamin D all year round, um, but even hmm. higher doses in the winter. There's, there's little doubt that uh, vitamin D deficiency is actually, interestingly, if I see a child with severe eczema, they invariably have very low levels of vitamin D. And hmm. so part of my consultation is talking to them about the importance of taking vitamin D supplements. I'm not so keen for little children to get themselves out in the sun because I'm concerned about sun exposure um, as far as skin cancer and later life, particularly mm. in children under 11. But in adults, you've got the option of going out and getting a bit of natural sunlight, just don't burn. But mm. I, I think children, certainly with bad eczema, and, and when you give them vitamin D and you correct their vitamin D deficiency, suddenly their mm. eczema becomes much easier to control. It can often be all that they need to get their eczema back under control. Well, we lose. We use light therapy to treat a number of skin conditions, including eczema, and I'm sure mm. that's partly through the manufacture of vitamin D in the skin. And I just remember that the, I was reading an article, and it, it said that soaps interfere with vitamin D absorption. Apparently, really, absorption mm. from the skin. I presume so. Yeah, doesn't doesn't greatly surprise me. Um, Vitamin D has a lot of important functions in the skin, uh, it, it, amongst its functions. And did you know that in the deeper layers of the epidermis, in what's called the stratum spinosum, um, mm. and I'm, I'm talking about a layer of the skin that in some parts of the body is a tenth as thick as a piece of paper. It's astonishing, mm. isn't it? Um, and then other parts mm. of the body, like your heel or your scalp, it can be you know, a good four or five millimeters. But th these are all the epidermis. And in the mm. deeper layers of that, in the stratum spinosum, uh, you, you are actually producing over 1,800 natural antibiotics, mm. um, chemicals like the defensins and cathelicidin. And these are body's natural antimicrobial peptides. And the production of those is controlled by adequate levels of vitamin D. Vitamin D is a remarkable molecule. And I... I I've never seen, contrary to what I was taught at medical school, about that there's a risk that you can become vitamin D intoxicated. I have never encountered that. I think it can happen, but it's remarkably mm. unlikely. So almost take as much vitamin D as you can get off the shelf, um, is my current view. And the, the vitamin D molecule actually is, a, like corticosteroids, steroids, is an elaboration of, of a cholesterol molecule. The body makes cholesterol, and that is modified to turn into steroids, both the sex steroids like testosterone, progesterone, estrogen, but also the, the steroids that we call steroids, the body naturally needs and, and uses to signal things um, and control inflammation in the body and control many other functions like salt and, and blood pressure, salt levels and blood mm. pressure. But vitamin D is a further subtle modification of that same molecule. So just in the way that steroids go around the body and have remarkable effects. So vitamin D goes around the body and acts a bit like a hormone. It, it actually controls a large number of, of, of functions of the body from um, 
cancer surveillance through to immune regulation. And we now know that uh, vitamin D deficiency also puts you at much greater risk, as you were hinting, of COVID. So mm. another good reason not to let yourself become vitamin D deficient. You just reminded me, I, I, I read a book about a year or so ago by Bill Bryson um, about the body. And he mentioned, I can't remember the exact quote, but it was something about, you mentioned about how thin the, the epidermis and the, you know, the layer of skin. And within that, I don't know if it was the epidermis or the dermis, is our... Melanocytes. The little the melanocytes uh, are your melanin-producing cells, and they rest on the basement membrane, which is what the epidermis sits on as well. So the, they're sitting in the basal layer of the epidermis, the melanocytes. But these mm. remarkable cells, which migrate to the skin quite late in the, in the life of an embryo, um, and, and a bit later still, uh, they have very long finger-like processes that extend up into the higher layers of the epidermis. And interestingly, communicate with virtually every cell in the epidermis. So they have these little finger-like processes that wriggle between the cells and go up and then join them. And then those epidermal cells, along those arms, are little packets of melanin called melanosomes. And then the Mm -hmm. epidermocytes actually suck that into the melanosomes, suck it into their own cell um, structure, the cytoplasm. Mm -hmm. And then they release these little packets of melanin in these melanosomes into their cytoplasm, but then incredibly concentrated like an umbrella on the outer surface of the nucleus of their cell. Mm. So it just has a little cap sitting on the outer surface of the nucleus um, Mm. in the cytoplasm, just like an umbrella, and thereby protect the nucleus from the DNA damage from irradiation. Isn't that astonishing? They are Mm. so clever. So that's the melanocytes. And, And your melanocytes produce different sorts of melanins there's brown eumelanin, there's black eumelanin. But as our ancestors migrated to latitudes where the sunlight was weaker, um, mm. somewhere between 15 and 200,000 years ago, we have evolved to make a deliberately weaker melanin called fear melanin, um, which is pink, and therefore gives mm. us our white skin. And I right. think we did that because the evolutionary advantage of letting more sunlight through drove Mm. the need to have a weaker melanin. In other words, Mm. evolution tells us that sunlight matters and sunlight is good. And Mm. when the sunlight is weaker, you don't want to uh, filter out too much by having dark skin. Uh, It's a very very interesting concept. I I could go on about that in a lot more detail, but that's not the purpose of today's talk. It's fascinating, yeah. And, and there's there's something else that um, again in in the article I read about that this soap affects our microbiome. Yeah, it does. Um, soap is is powerfully antiseptic, so it will mm. kill bacteria. And we have about a million bacteria living on our skin in, um, in every centimeter mm. of our skin. A million. Um, mm. The total number of bacteria on a healthy person's skin is, is 10 to the 9. That's 10 with 9 noughts after it. So mm. billions, billions and billions. In fact, in your body, if I include the bacteria in your gut, there are 10 times more bacteria in your body, bacterial cells, than there are cells of you, Tony. Mm. Um, it's a 10 to 1 ratio of bacteria to you as far as cells are concerned. Fortunately, these cells are, are, are tiny. So they only weigh about four or five kilograms at most. But we're all going around with this huge bacterial load, and it's incredibly important. We're only really beginning to realize how important our microbiome is, both in the gut Mm. and on the skin. But soap will kill that bacteria and leave the door open then for bad bacteria to get onto the skin. And Mm. in eczema, about 90% of people with eczema have an abnormal skin barrier all over, not just where they're exhibiting eczema, but all their skin's abnormal. All their skin mm-hmm. has a higher pH. And they have much, they're much more likely to be colonized with bad bacteria, things like Staph aureus, which causes boils and causes eczema flares. Mm-hmm. People without eczema, it's only about one in 10 or one in five, um, mm-hmm. are carrying a, staph, a bad staph. Um, that's Staph aureus, this bad bacteria. 
And we normally have mm. a, between 200 and 500 different types of bacteria on our skin. And we have different patterns and balances of these bacteria in different parts of our body, whether it's your armpit or your foot or your, or your nose or your side of your nose or your hair. And that diversity is lost in eczema. And, and detergents mm. will definitely destroy those bacteria. But we need those bacteria. We have evolved to live with them. They are doing mm. a lot of good. They, they actually preserve and build up that skin barrier I mentioned at the beginning. Mm. And you said that makes it more open to being attacked by bad bacteria. So would that include things like viruses? Um, I don't, if the skin barrier is, is damaged, then viruses do have a better chance of getting in. Um, mm. and, the, and the notable one is the herpes virus in eczema, which can cause a really, really frightening and dangerous uh, acute rash called eczema herpeticum. Um, mm. Now, that actually also is, if the skin becomes inflamed, you switch off those antimicrobial peptides I mentioned earlier. And they're the things you actually need to prevent eczema herpeticum getting a foothold. So the skin mm. barrier is broken and it's inflamed. You actually switch off the antimicrobial peptides, amongst other things, and lay, lay the patient vulnerable to eczema herpeticum. But as far as mm. coronavirus is concerned, I wondered whether you're moving on to thinking about that. The coronavirus mm. needs access to our skin via a particular receptor called the angiotensin-converting enzyme 2 receptor, or ACE2 receptor. Mm. And fortunately, there are very, very few ACE receptors or ACE2 receptors in the skin, in the epidermis. So even if the skin is broken, mm. you're not likely to get invasion of that particular virus because you haven't got the receptors for it. Those receptors are in our respiratory tract, in our nose, in our lungs, also in our blood vessels, kidney, heart, brain, but not particularly in the skin. Of course, if your skin is broken, you can probably harbour viruses in the cracks in your skin. And if your face also is sore, you're going to have your face hand going up to your face even more often. And mm. therefore you can carry the virus up there more easily because you've got larger amounts of it. And of course, if your skin is sore and broken, mm. you're going to be less inclined to wash your skin with things because you know that that makes it even more sore. But the, the, the coronavirus has the same lipid lamella envelope. The envelope of the coronavirus uh, is also a lipid lamella by envelope. And the spike proteins are attached to the, to the outside of that. And so detergents, mm. as they are really good at ripping out our own lipid lamella by envelope between the cells, mm. rapidly break down the coronavirus lipid lamella by envelope and kill it. So very mm. minimal exposure to detergents will kill the coronavirus. Right. And so hence why um, we're always being told to wash our hands all the time and sort of with sanitizing yeah. and stuff. I used to say, um, well, sanitizing is, yes, if you're out and about, it can be more convenient. But uh, you've got to use 90% alcohol to have any benefit. And at that level, the alcohol is pretty damaging to the skin barrier too. The ideal mm. is, is, is um, and for years I've said wash with an emollient, but I wouldn't want to do that nowadays because that emollient will coat that lipid lamella bi-envelope of the coronavirus and just protect it. So mm. I've had to amend my ways and I've had to bring soap into our house, which is really quite difficult for me. And I now mm. do wash my hands carefully and thoroughly with soap, mm. acknowledging that I'm causing untold damage and I'm probably killing all my natural microbiome and rendering it mm. alkaline um, and ripping out my normal fatty layers. And removing mm. a little bit of sweat, which is really nice and acid and really good for the skin. Uh, mm. But then I rinse that off thoroughly. And I then, then having killed the virus, I then wash with an emollient. Any simple emollient, mm. doesn't matter what you use. Um, and that will mix with water nicely and will restore some of that fatty layer. But most importantly, it will restore the pH. And then you rinse that off, dry your hands. And then I think you should then put on another emollient afterwards. And by doing it that way... You can prevent all the, all the terrible hand dermatitis that people are seeing from overwashing their hands just with detergents and then rinsing them, drying them, and heading off. And would that just damage the hand area, or would that would that spread to anywhere else if you were just using it on your hands? Oh, I think if you're just using it on your hands, it'd probably only damage the hands. But if that were to let in cause a break, you're then more vulnerable mm -hmm. to developing a contact allergic dermatitis. 
We're talking mm. here about sort of contact irritant dermatitis from the, the irritant mm. effect of the detergent causing a localized dermatitis. But if you've got the skin barrier broken, then you are opening the door for more trouble, including contact allergic dermatitis. And once you've got that, then trivial exposure to that thing you become allergic to can cause quite marked reactions and dermatitis elsewhere, notably on mm. the face where the skin barrier is thinnest and weakest. Mm. I mean, a couple of questions I can imagine many people thinking at the moment, you know, because we're all being brain conditioned i guess to, to you know think that using soap is something we obviously have to do um so the three questions that come to mind and i'm guessing you probably received far more than these three that i'm going to ask are why don't you smell terrible why don't you look dirty and why don't you get sick maybe <laughs> right well i i hope i don't smell i, I but i do wash i wash every day um but mm. i wash with an emollient and so i am mm re-greasing my skin and not degreasing it. I'm maintaining that pH. And that pH, by the way, also uh, enables the adhesion of healthy bacteria and it helps them to, to, be, to stay on the skin, which is what you want. And it's actually very good at killing. It's antiseptic for those bad bacteria, things like staph. So that pH is incredibly important for a whole host of reasons, which is why the body's evolved to have it. Um, but I, I, I do wash and I wash very thoroughly, and I wash with an emollient. And it's a lovely feeling when you're um, in the shower and you're washing with it. You do need to be careful. It will render you and the shower tray or the bath extremely slippery, so you've got to be very careful. And, mm. of course, putting that emollient, which will then go down into the drains, it can clog up the drains and probably clog up the sewers. So I do pour boiling water down once a week or, or put soda crystals down the shower tray, but not, not, not onto my mm. skin, of course, um, to try and yeah. make sure it doesn't get blocked. Um, why don't I smell because I'm clean? And actually, interesting, you know, if you stop, if you went camping somewhere, you went off camping for a month or went on a boat mm. for a month and you couldn't mm. wash, you'd be amazed how wonderful your skin would look and how wonderful your hair would look. Initially, it would get a bit greasy and then it'll calm down. And mm. as the skin microbiome begins to recover and the, and the whole grease gland activity just balances back out again, it'll end up looking wonderful and, and it, it doesn't, interestingly, it doesn't smell because your microbiome becomes the normal healthy microbiome. It's bad bacteria mm. that tend to produce offensive smells. And, and isn't it, um, I've, I've heard the body odor is more about what we eat rather than, you know, what's on our well, skin. Um, I think that has a big part to play in it as well, yes. So that comes out in your mm. sweat and your, and, and, um, and, and, certainly into your armpits and things like that. And certainly if I've had um, anything with garlic, you know that things like even your sweat can smell a bit garlicky. Yeah. So mm. yes, dark is a big part to play, but I think it's a lot to do with the bad bacteria. And uh, mm. just maintaining a healthy microbiome is, is how this, this era of washing, which is predominantly in the last 50 years, but it's only really at all in the last 150 years, is a fraction of a second in the lifetime of, of mankind who've been on the planet mm -hmm. for two and a half million years. So it, you know, our, our ancestors just didn't wash, and our skin was... If we were meant to be washing like we are today, we would have fish scales. Mm -hmm. the, skin, the skin cannot cope with this demand, and, and it's mm -hmm. very, very abnormal uh, way of, of treating our skin, and, and this is why our skin is responding. It, it's coupled with other things like... Uh, our houses nowadays are wonderfully dry. We have dry carpets, dry walls, um, and we have central heating and we have air conditioning. And mm. our skin was not intended to be in that dry environment. It, it is it is really very abnormal. It's no surprise to me that we are responding by having all this dermatitis and dry skin mm. problems. Also, we weren't intended to live as long as I've lived. So as you get older, as I mentioned earlier, your skin does become dry, your whole skin barrier becomes weaker, and our ancestors mm. rarely lived beyond 70 or 80. And uh, so once you get over 50, 60, already you're, you're moving into a time in your life when your skin is more vulnerable and the same activities that you could skin could tolerate as a young person are no longer possible to, to live with. And so, therefore, what should people of, you know, 60, 70, 80, what, what should they be doing to help their skin? Well, acknowledge that the skin barrier is weaker. Um, do they need mm. to wash every day? I, mean, I think washing 
twice a week might be mm-hmm. all that your skin needs. Um, you need to clean, you know, the, the important areas that need cleaning, like your bottom and, and in the groin and armpits and things. But the rest of it, does it need cleaning? Uh, even shaving, for example. I shave with an emollient. I don't shave with shaving foam um, or soap at all. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I use a, a, a razor through an emollient, and it's perfectly acceptable. It just glides mm-hmm. through beautifully and gives a really nice close cut. Mm-hmm. Uh, you should be getting rid of the, the, the soaps and char gels completely, I think, and you should be washing with an emollient of your choice. But be, have a, maybe have a shower, something in the char tray so you don't fall over or something in the bath so you can get out safely. I don't want people to slip around and break their hips and things. Mm-hmm. Make sure you're getting plenty of vitamin D and getting a sensible amount of sunlight on your skin. Um, mm. ne- never burn. Um, and whilst sunlight is unquestionably the single most important modifiable risk factor for skin cancer, mm. the most important risk factors for skin cancer are the number of moles you've been born with or you, you develop in, in your teenage years typically, um, your mm. family history, whether you've had a skin cancer before, and whether you're immune suppressed. Those are the, the biggest things that drive whether you get skin cancer or not. You can't modify no. those so easily. Um, so, mm. yeah, therefore, sunlight does matter, but it also brings lots of advantages. And so we need to be sensible about sunlight and mm. just not burn, but otherwise it's doing you quite a lot of good. And doesn't um, sun protection, that sun creams, they're harmful to the skin, aren't they? Well, there are worries there. Um, both the chemicals that are used as chemical filters, like avabenzene, um, there are concerns that they are, if you put them on the skin, they're absorbed and they hang around for not just hours, but days in the body. And they mm. may have an impact on fertility. And then there are the, 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 the mineral um, physical reflectance that filter, um, reflect light. Um, things like titanium dioxide and zinc oxide. Uh, and there are some theoretical concerns about those. So mm. I have my reservations, to be honest, about sunblock. Um, mm. It does enable us to go out in the sun and not burn, which is obviously the most important thing. But so mm. does wearing thin cotton clothing and, and wearing a hat and protecting yourself with, a, with that sort of barrier. I'm a mm. lot more keen on keeping in the shade if the sun's very hot or putting a hat on or putting a shirt on than mm. just wearing your trunks and relying on sunblock. We've talked about the, the damage that soap can do to the skin. So is that the same for moisturizers? No, not at all. No, moisturizers, I think, is another word, as far as I'm concerned, for emollient. And, and emollient just means nice and soft. Um, mm. So... Both of these, I think, are uh, they're things like Aveeno and um, E45 and Diprobase and Double Base and Oilatum. Mm. There the are loads and loads available and the Aprodome mm. range, which are fabulous. Um, and these are all moisturizers or emollients because they, uh, they don't degrease the skin, they will regrease it. And they also preserve the, the surface pH. And of course, some of them are much, much more sophisticated. Some of them contain humectants, um, which are mimicking the body's own natural moisturizing factors. In the, in the skin barrier, we produce a really important, very large molecule called filagrin, which stands for filament aggregating protein. It, it changes the shapes of the cells as, it, as, they, as they mature to the surface, amongst other things. But then filagrin breaks down into a large number of very, very small molecules, um, which are all natural moisturizing factors. They all draw moisture, water to them, and they hold that moisture in the cell. So things like amino acids, but uh, other things like urea and uricanic acid, sodium protein, carboxylic acid. Uh, there are a load of very small molecules that are all acids, which is how, partly how you produce that acid mantle from the breakdown products of filagrin. And, the, and mm. so some emollients contain humectants like glycerol or urea um, or sodium protein carboxylate, which draw that moisture into the cell and hold it there. So the cell is full of water and, and pushed up tightly against its neighbors, separated only by that wonderful lipid lamella bilayer. 
And so sealing mm. the skin and preventing bacteria, pathogens, allergens, and things getting in. Mm. And then they contain other clever things as well, like colloidal oat or vitamin B3, nicotinamide, is an amazing molecule that we're discovering has remarkable properties in the skin, um, augmenting the production of the lipid lamella bodies that produce the lipid lamella envelope, uh, but also anti-inflammatory properties, rendering the skin less itchy and less inflamed and controlling quite a few functions. So some contain nicotinamide or nicotinic acid, sorry, um, niacinamide. Others have hairspray in them, um, povidone, polyvinyl pyrodolone, and that just forms a, a very fine membrane. You can't even see it on the surface of the skin, and that just prevents water from escaping from the skin and, and extending the time that that, uh, that moisturizer or emollient protects the skin from drying out. So lots of things are added to the more sophisticated emollients to enable these sorts of additional properties and benefits. So how would, I mean, the average person who doesn't know much about this, what are there, are there any harmful moisturizers or are, is it most moisturizers okay? The harmful ones are aqueous cream because that contains sodium lauryl sulfate and that should mm. not go anywhere near anyone's skin ever and emulsifying mm. ointment, which has 3%. Aqueous cream has 1% sodium lauryl sulfate. Um, emulsifying ointment has 3%. So I'd avoid those two completely. Mm. Then as a general rule, I'm not keen on creams that come only in a tub. Mm. Um, creams are quite thin, and there's no reason why they shouldn't have a pump to pump it out. Um mm. If you've got it in a tub, the temptation is to put your fingers in that tub to get it out. Mm. And within a week, that can then become infected with bad bacteria. And you're then putting bad bacteria straight onto broken, damaged skin. And uh, mm. people can start getting problems with infection. So if you, it, it, should, it should really come either the, the, ideally in a, in a um, pump dispenser where you press the pump down and, and, and it squeezes out. Uh, mm. Or... Failing that in a, in a quality tube, but the tubes often then suck air back in and mm. then need high concentrations of preservatives to prevent the bacteria that come in with the air from contaminating it. Mm. So uh, nothing beats having a quality pump, but some unfortunately don't use quality pumps. Um, either like mm. Imuderm, they don't um, recharge very quickly. They take about 20 seconds to recharge so patients mm. don't put enough on, or they just don't empty the bottle. So things like a vino, which is a wonderful emollient, I think one of my favorite emollients, but it's very wasteful mm. because over a quarter is left in when you've finished, um, and when you can no longer pump any more out of it. So that, that's very extravagant. So harmful, aqueous cream, emulsifying ointment, and possibly creams that come in a tub. Ointments are so thick, they all have to come in tubs. And uh, so I just urge patients there to be um, sure to just take it out with a spoon, which they can clean and dry in between. The other thing to be aware of is that virtually all emollients contain paraffin. And mm. paraffin, of course, is flammable. And mm. even if you've put it, on, put it on your skin, you then go to bed with some pyjamas on and you wear those pyjamas all night, and then you wash those pyjamas, a panorama, I think it was, it was a BBC program about two years ago, demonstrated that those pyjamas, even after they've been through a washing cycle in a washing machine, uh, mm. are still significantly more flammable than pyjamas that haven't even been exposed to it. So detergents are, I'm sorry, emollients that contain paraffin, can, virtually all of them do. The only one I know that doesn't is Aprodam colloidal oat. Um, but all the rest uh, contain paraffin, and paraffin can be dangerous. And are there any that you would recommend? Yes, I'm allowed to. Yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, so the emollients that I recommend, well, at the end of the day, the emollient that the patient likes is the, most, is the best emollient, because that way you can be confident that they will use it. Um, mm. There's no point in me saying this is the best emollient and they can't stand the feel of it and therefore don't use it. It doesn't work. So mm. that's the most important thing. So I think patients should have a choice of emollient. But the mm. emollients that if I was on a desert island I'd like to have with me include 
most of the Apriderm range. The Apriderm range by Fontas Health, I think, are now excellent. They used to contain mm. olive oil, and olive oil actually is bad for your skin. It's got too much oleic acid, but they've, they've taken that out now. Um, so the Apriderm range, I think, are excellent. And Apriderm colloidal is probably my favorite. Um, mm. I really like Aveeno, but I'm concerned about the pump, as I've mentioned. Uh, but there are so many others. Uh, there are some that you can't prescribe, things like Lipicar Balm, um, AP plus M, made by La Roche-Posay. That's a really lovely emollient for eczema. Um, and amongst mm. other things, it contains the nicotinamide, um, the niacinamide, that vitamin B3. Uh, but it also contains a bacteria, um, a healthy bacteria, uh, which will help to restore the normal microbiome, along with selenium in the water um, that they use to make it. So Lipicar Balm is another nice one. Um, Cetraben is, is good. It's got a high concentration of glycerol as a humectant. I like Olatum. It's got povidone in it, and it's not very expensive. Olatum cream. The double base and um, both the ordinary double base and double base day leave are particularly nice ones. The day leave has some povidone as well. There's a newish one called Adex, which I think is very nice. It's um, double base plus some niacinamide or nicotinic acid. I'm sorry, um, niacinamide, um, which is uh, a very nice anti-inflammatory uh, emollient. So that's another nice one. Uh, I could go on for about an hour if you wanted. Uh, hydromol, hydromol is very nice, but that's very expensive. Hydromol ointment's a good ointment. It mixes with water very easily, um, whereas mm. most ointments are too greasy and they won't mix with water. But hydromol mixes beautifully with water. Uh, earlier on, you, you talked about the temperature of water. So I'm wondering how much of a difference it makes, whether it's hot, warm or cold. Uh, no one wants to be in cold water for very long. Uh, hot water obviously will melt the body's natural oils off the skin more quickly. So generally, if someone's got a problem with their skin, I suggest that they have a a bit more than tepid, a warm-ish shower, but not hot. It needs to be comfortably warm. And they should only mm. really be in it for about five five to seven minutes at most, ideally. Mm. Uh, but I think that the hotter the water, the more likely. And, and of course, hot water can become quite itching. It can make the skin quite mm. sore and itchy if you're in it for too long, particularly when you get out. And does, does cold water, I mean, apart from the fact that it's not comfortable for most people, but is cold water fine for the skin? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there are some cold-induced skin problems. People can get hives from cold, rarely. Uh, and it, it does cut down the blood supply to the skin. So, And you need a mm. good blood supply to nourish the skin and, and help it to produce the skin barrier and produce grease and everything else. So if it's, if it's mm. cold for a very long period of time, that can uh, make make the skin weaker. And because in, in cold weather, you the air tends to be drier still. So cold weather can be bad. But cold water, no, I don't think that that particularly does any harm compared to just tepid water. No. One of the reasons I asked that is because you, you, you talked before about being um, in water too long. So I was thinking about people that, say, swim in the sea and, and so on. Hmm. Well, if you notice, they generally cover them. If you go through across a channel, they cover themselves in lard or equivalent, don't they, before they do it to act as a barrier mm. to protect the skin and also to make them more slippery through the water. Um, mm. Yeah, I, 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 I don't think it's ideal for the skin. Obviously, in salty water, things are better than in, in fresh mm. water for a long period of time. I, but I, I think if you're in a wetsuit and, and in the sea doing things, I don't think it does you any great harm, or even in a lake, it does any harm for any period of time. Obviously, the skin becomes waterlogged, and you can get it, things like athlete's foot in that macerated skin. But I'm not aware of any particular problem for being in cold water for a long time specifically. George, if, if people want to find out more about you, where would be the best place to go to? About me? <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> I suppose Google <laughs> come up with a few things there. Uh, yeah, I don't think people want to find out about me. <laughs> it's a nice thought. And and do you have? Um, do, is there any book that you often recommend to people? 
Uh, you know, you asked me that uh, earlier, and I, I realize that I, I don't specifically direct people to a particular book, but there is a, a book I think is absolutely brilliant. I've got it just here. Mm. Um, where is it? It's called Beyond Soap. Yeah. By a lovely dermatologist from, I think she's from Toronto, called Sandy Scott, Scott Neakey. And mm-hmm. she's, she's, I, she's researched the subject in such detail. It's, it's, it's a very, very readable book. And uh, she, she sent it to me because she discovered that I equally hate soap. And mm. she, as a dermatologist working in the world of contact dermatitis, particularly just sees just endless patients coming through with their skin that's been damaged by their lifestyle. And mm. so she goes into some detail about how to just, just look after your skin and, and let it recover and return to its normal state, just, just leaving it alone. Mm. Well, and, uh, well, I'll, I'll put that, a link to that book in, in the show notes. And do, okay. do you have any, any, any quotes that you like, George? Uh, I, I I can't think of any particular quotes that I've heard other people saying, but uh, what I regularly say, I think people I've heard people quoting me saying is that your, your eczema will never get better if you don't stop the soaps and detergents. I think that's a, well, just a simple message to remember. If you don't stop the soaps and detergents, you cannot expect your skin to, to settle. Your eczema will, will, however much I put powerful treatments onto your skin or give you vitamin D or do anything else, it will still be a problem. Well, I think that's a perfect quote to end on. So, George, I, I really appreciate your time and, and the, the knowledge that you've shared with us. And hopefully a, a few people will, will take action on some of the things that you said. I hope more than a few. I hope that the whole of society will start realising that uh, we need to change our, our washing habits. Because we, we are I'm just seeing troops of people coming through to me with the consequences of our modern lifestyle. And it, and it just wrecks their lives that they... Their skin is dry and uncomfortable and itchy. It feels sensitive and they're much more vulnerable mm. to other things like mm. contact dermatitis. Well, hopefully people will start taking action and, and this message will get out to more people with, with a bit of luck. Oh, thank so, you for what you're doing there. I really think that's excellent. Thank you, George. And, um, yeah. All the very best. best. Bye-bye. Next week is episode seven with Ben Affia and we learn about the importance of communication and how we can improve our communication in many different areas in in our business lives, in our personal lives and the the massive difference it can make Um, and he gives some really good examples of just how big a problem poor communication can be. So that's next week's episode, episode seven, Ben Affia. If you did enjoy this week's show with Dr. George Moncrief, please do share it with anyone who you feel would get some benefit from it, anyone you know with eczema. Um, Why not leave a review for us, subscribe, and I hope you have a great week.